0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Mangino's Pizza. Okay, Pegley's. Mary's. What about Sony's, Edward's. Hill House. Ladies of the Dukes. We got, a, we got a good one. Okay. Riardo's. Pizza Joe's. Martelloni's. In the house. Tanner's. Los Amigos. El Canelo's. Hugger Mugger. Some of you are like, where is he going with this right now? Like, am I, in the right, am I in the right place right now? Okay. So, where is he going with this? What about Mr. B's? PETA? Lindy's lunch, I've never had it yet. Somebody, somebody said that it was good. Gold Walk, yeah, that's right. Gold Walk, Coney Island, anybody? Coney Island or Bills, right? Bills, I'm a Bills fan. Um, Crane Room, Turco's, so. It doesn't and i know i'm forgetting many many more i know you've got them in the back of your head i know you're like pastor forgot about my favorite spot i'm sorry i'll forgive you and we'll talk about it after the service and we'll hash it out but anyway um some of you are thinking like boy what is he talking about where is he going with this it doesn't take a sermon to talk about eating right because i think all of us are like we love to eat i think we're all in the positive eating category there's no shame in that we need food and i probably have for some of you probably I'm now thinking about or your mouths are watering about what you're going to eat for lunch after church. So now I have you thinking about lunch. And so uh, that's my fault at this point. And so there's no shame in that. But I think I probably caused some of our mouths to feed. And we all know the value of eating and being together and whatnot as well. And so, hey, today would also be if you're thinking about lunch, maybe you've got Father's Day plans, maybe you don't. Maybe today's a great day to start. Maybe you think about someone, you could nudge someone after the service to go out to eat with you if you don't have plans today after church. So it'd be great to tag along with someone if you're able to, or even in the next few weeks as well. It's just a, a nice thing to do. Um, despite all those things, you've got your foodies, right? You've got your foodies. In fact, as I have grown and as I've, 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 I've lived here, I have understood this to be true about this, this uh, town. Okay. And even the county that I live or just even this greater thing is that many people have their favorite categories of food that they enjoy, right? So then you go to subcategories of food like such and such place has the best lamb. Okay. And then there's this such and such place has the best pasta sauce. Okay. And then it even goes to subcategories like such and such place has best Alfredo or red sauce. It just goes people in here around here, very passionate about their food or they have their best French fry, or you go here to find the best burger, okay? It just keeps on kind of subcategory and subcategory. So this place has really, has good food, and people are passionate about this food, and they're passionate about this place. Or the best pierogies in town. Or this place has the greatest fork in town, uh, or spoon. Um, and so uh, this place has killer napkins. Um <laughs> If you've ever grown up around church or haven't, you know, if you have not grown up around the church, it's okay. But if you, you have, you probably know that it takes, uh, the, the church takes eating together pretty seriously. And so does Jesus in Acts 2.42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and what? Ate Ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This passage takes place in the book of Acts, and specifically in Acts chapter 2, and this takes place right at the beginning of the early church, and it's right at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell, and the Holy Spirit empowered the church for service, empowered the church for mission, and right at Pentecost is when the church really was birthed and the church really got going. And so the 3,000 people were saved on that day. It was this amazing thing in Acts chapter two. And then we find the believers sharing together in their homes, eating together, and fellowshipping together, and we find the core essentials of what the early church was about. And the emphasis was on this. These four ideas come from those verses, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And at the early church, at the very beginning of the early church, it was zeroed in on teaching of the word of God and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. So how many basketball fans do we have in here? If you're a basketball fan, raise your hand. Um, I am amazed by the free throw, and I'm amazed on two different spectrums. I'm amazed at sometimes the uh, percentage of free throws that are not made. Um, But I'm also amazed at the percentage. I'm really amazed by the percentage that are and how a professional can make a lot of free throws. Better than 80% success rate. I'm even more amazed to find the overall kind of field goal percentages well over 45%. That's incredible to make that amount of your shots in total. Almost half of their shots go in. I mean, in a professional basketball game, professional defenders like can do this as their craft. It's like how do they do this? Like how does this happen? How does this happen in their in their world? You see they're devoted to their craft. They're devoted to making free throws and shooting free throws. They're devoted to those things. And so they're devoted to that. You see, in the original language of the Bible, that word fellowship was called koinonia. And the root there, idea, means commonness or commonality. And that word koine is the word meaning commonness. It was this kind of the street language of the people of that day. And every time that word is used in the New Testament, it denotes some kind of sharing or sharing in someone else's experiencing. And so here it is, contributing or to giving. Fellowship comes through giving. And true fellowship sometimes is costly because it costs sometimes our time. And true fellowship, it does cost something. But could it be, sometimes we as the church, and sometimes we say, you know, it's not really contributing in this way, the church. And could it be that we put too much blame on the church? with an eye for only our own needs? Could it be that God might be calling us to fellowship with other believers? And could it be that could be costly for our time? What would it mean to truly give of ourselves our time for true fellowship with each other? What would it mean like outside of Sunday to have true fellowship with each other outside of this? And of course, Sunday mornings as well. But what would it look like? I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. That same word for fellowship shows up in this verse. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the what? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In 1 John 1, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we also proclaim also to you so that you too may have what? fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So as we gain fellowship with God the Father, we gain fellowship through His Son, and we are in relationship through the Holy Spirit as a triune God. Three um, are all the same in one God. And we find ourselves enjoying fellowship with one another. We find ourselves in the presence of other believers fellowshipping with one another. And we see a great illustration of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's this illustration of the Bible, and it's this great, it's this kind of this great portion of this. In verse 4, it's the Macedonian church begging for privilege of participation, and koinonia is in there, and an offering or contribution. And if you're a Christian living in Macedonia, you're extremely, you were on an extremely poor spectrum of that point in time, and yet they were laser focused, laser focused on practicing koinonia and giving themselves to others. Why? It's because the answer I think is given in verse 5. They did not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, fellowship with him, and then by the will of God to us. And that is Koinonia. We have fellowship with God, the Father, and we have a, fel, fel, a close fellowship with others. And so, as we set up today's bless, bless, we've been walking through what it means to bless, B L E S S, others, and our neighbors, and overall bless theme. I just want to say, might I say this today, that changing the world. Can happen we often think of like changing the world and grandiose themes but grandiose ideas but changing the world can happen with very ordinary hospitality and sometimes we think it we, we sort of complicate it in some other ways and we have run ourselves sometimes we've run ourselves a lot of times out of excuses and we are in an instantaneous world and you and i live in that world we are in a very quick instantaneous world demanding quick results and we might be here today and we are wondering, you're like, man, do I have time for this? Like, do I, have, do I actually have time for fellowship? Do I have time for fellowship with others? Do I have time to do this with other people? Like, I'm looking at, and I'm thinking about my week or thinking about my schedule. I'm like, man, this is like filled to the brim. You may be thinking, man, do I really have time for this? Do I have time to fellowship? Do I have time for this to make a difference? And you're like, pastor, it's hard enough getting my five-year-old here. Like, it is hard enough getting them dressed and out the door it is really hard enough to get them to brush their teeth in the morning you're probably thinking like man the world's problems are big it just feels like can i really make a difference this way can i really do this you see hospitality this is what we're talking about fellowship is a major major integral part of the church and it's part of our church it's this function it's part of the church's function and mission and it can be a rhythm to ours and to yours as well So what if we could do this? What if we could all, what if you and I could do this? We all have to eat, right? Like, you have to eat. Um, So what what would it look like to start to even just make a little bit more steps into this, and what are the implications of this? Dustin Willis is an author. He says, the secret weapon for gospel advancement is hospitality, and you can practice it whether you live in a house, apartment or a dorm or even a high-rise. And all it takes is a willingness to open your home and your life to other people. You see, the gospel is normal, very normal. It is ordinary, and it meets us sometimes in not-so-clean living spaces. You may be thinking about your living room currently right now, and we're like, boy, I don't know if anybody would want or should I have anybody into my living room currently right now. Um, might I say that those, those floors don't always have to be scrubbed hand and foot, and if you think about it, our lives can break roughly into thirds. So if you think about this a little bit, our lives break roughly into thirds. You could say you spend a third of your time sleeping, a third of your time working or school or some sort, and the other third, choosing to do whatever you choose and so choose. For many of us, that third of time is spent at home, eating or relaxing or enjoying hobbies or entertainment. You see, ordinary does not mean insignificant. And maybe you're like this, as we have also addressed this a little bit. You're like, man, do I just have time for this? Like, do I have time to be a blessing? What are the implications of this? What does it mean? If God's like, bless those who bless you and bless those around you and bless those like love god and love neighbor we've talked about that do i have time for this do i really have time for this and so we've run ourselves and i think we've done this as a culture in 2023 and uh just recently we've done ourselves almost a disservice to just run ourselves from task to task to task and run ourselves busy to the fact that we it's hard to be a blessing to others as well. And you know and I know as well that our phones have done a disservice to us as well because we know our phones ding quite often and they are telling us to check them all the time. And so we have to slow down at times, we've gotta slow down, we've gotta turn to people. And I think this is what this really this series is growing us into and and challenging us and challenging me to grow into this. Our to-do lists seem longer and longer And they seem longer, and the longer we have these things, it's just the longer we continue to go with this. And so it feels like we have less time to get things done. And so we've taken this series really as a heart for all of us, including myself, to say, loving God and loving others, this is a command that God wants us to be zeroed in on. And we have to be about that as a church body. So BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, this is the acronym here. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. And so we have lived, looked at this, and uh, we're continuing to look at this. And what this looks like very practical, I think, just steps for us as a church body and as a church for those around us. And uh, so I just want us to continue to lean into this and uh, continue to pray, continue to listen as we talked about last week. And uh, so this, as we've walked through this, may we, might God do uh, immeasurably more than we could ask through what he will do through us to our neighbors. You see, love your neighbor as yourself, that shows up eight times across the Bible. Eight times, loving your neighbor as yourself is so important to God, he repeat himself, but he makes it a command. He makes it a command. He says, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says in Mark 12, love the Lord with God with all your what? Heart and with all your what? Soul and with all your what? Mind and with all your what? Strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And when we get this right, church, it's a beautiful thing, and it's amazing thing and even greater than the literal people who live next to us but also the people that we rub shoulders with need our love and care and support and they need the love of God through us to be shown to them and it still happens it still happens church in 2023 it still does and God uses us to intentionally live this out And, and imagine with me and it's just my heart as a church as we have dreamed together and if we could dream again, and we could dream continue together as we see God at work, if we could envision this to say all of us mobilized and took to heart this, all of us, including and in myself, individually, who intentionally loved our neighbor. And what would this look like? What would happen in Lawrence County and in our city? And I know many of you are doing this and leaning into all of this, and I'm grateful for that. And God sometimes... Uh, is also very patient with us and his spirit is patient as we move and as we pray and as we mobilize ourselves to to experience God in a new way through loving other people. And I pray that God would continue to do that. I'm grateful for that. Um, And so we are visiting this. We are looking at this again. As we said last week, you and I, we are the church. The church is God's plan A. We are God's plan A to reach the world. You and I, we get to be a part of that and we get to be a part of God's rescue plan for the world, and we carry that message, and word and deed, the message of the gospel, we carry that to the world around us. We carry that. We are the unique called ones of the church. We are the called out ones, as that word is used in the Bible, to be the people whom God has chosen for the world, and to carry out his mission into this world around us, into our neighbors as well. And so we were reminded last week to listen well, to really listen. And there is a difference, as we looked at last week, a difference between listening and hearing. In James 1, we learned the value of listening, first from listening to God and then listening to other people. In James 1, 19. my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be clicked to what? Listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And we must be a people, we must be a people who take this to heart to not miss what James is saying here because an unwillingness to listen and a sinful tongue can lead to anger and can lead to moral evils. And if we're slow to hear, slow to hear God's word, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Moral filth is not only our lot, but our destiny. And to be a neighbor means to be a good listener and to even be a good listener to those who may not, who we may not fully agree with. Um, To be a neighbor to somebody who um, you may not agree on the same level playing field, Um, different worldview. And so what would it look like As we said last week, to listen to those who are even far from God. What would it look like to listen in and lean in to those who are far from God? What about those listening to those maybe on the complete opposite worldview? What would it look like for us to listen maybe to even those who we've had maybe just a lodged opinion about for a long time that we will not let go of? And could it be that God's working on our heart? And could it be that God wants us to grow in our listening to other people? And he's calling us to listen to this and how maybe sometimes we have grown so cold and we've grown not to listen that we've grown angry, as James 1 says, and it's sort of been lodged in our heart and our mind. And God's working on us and working on our heart. So, Phil, do anyone know this guy, um, the, the person behind me, that picture? Anyone know who that is? Okay, well, I say who it is and then we'll talk about it. Phil Vischer. Okay. He was the founder of VeggieTales. Yeah. Anyone VeggieTales? Um, when VeggieTales was good, now it's sort of not great at this point, but um, uh, it's not as what it used to be, right? And now you're all thinking of your favorite VeggieTales. I know you're thinking of it, uh, favorite VeggieTales song. I know I've got the one in my back of my head. So uh, we, uh, great. Phil Vischer, founder of VeggieTales. Um, Phil Vischer. Um, He said this, and he said this on his perspective of the need for Christians to open up their ordinary lives and homes to those around them. He said this, I am growing increasingly convinced that if every one of these kids burning with passion to write a hit Christian song or make that hit Christian movie or start that hit Christian ministry to change the world would focus their passion instead on walking with God on a daily basis, the world would change because the world needs to learn about God The world learns about God, not by watching movies, but by watching Christians. And I know that's pointed to kids, but I think that can be applied for all of us, right? The world watches Christians who walk with God and walking daily with God. And I think he's right about that. I think the world walking with God on a daily basis, very ordinary practices in which we can do. Ordinary people can change the world. Ordinary people can change the world, and it does not take a celebrity to change the world. It takes very ordinary people, uh, Western Pennsylvanians. Okay, if you have your Bible, um, you can open that up, 687, Matthew 9. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can go there, Matthew 9, and it'll be on the screen. But if you would like a uh, paper and hardback backed Bible, or a book, 687 of the Bible in front of you. And if you're visiting, watching with us this morning, we uh, value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures. And I pray that you would find a church that preaches and teaches the scriptures very faithfully. Matthew chapter 9. Now, you have, maybe if you've been around here for a little bit, you've heard this before. Um, or if you've, um, maybe you've grown up in church and you've heard this story before. But we will look at it and um, we'll go to a few other places as well. But Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Um, and uh, if, you'll, if you'll go there with me, we'll uh, read this together. Or I'll read it. It says on verse 9, As Jesus went on from there... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Very quick, huh? Tax collector's booth. He told him Matthew gets up and he follows him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with sinners, or tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said these words, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the who? The sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but who? The sinners. Across the ministry of Jesus, we find him teaching. We find him doing all kinds of things, but teaching, healing, doing miracles, praying, walking on water, eventually dying on the cross. And three days later, overcoming death and coming back to life. But did you notice part of how Jesus blessed and saved the world was also by eating? Also by eating. Much of his ministry was around this idea around the table and around meals and invited a sense of hospitality with people around their homes. Simple, very ordinary Actions and very ordinary postures that Jesus connected with people around the table. I mean, if you take John chapter 2, his first miracle was at a wedding feast. One of the most well known miracles was feeding of the 5,000 on a hill on the countryside, (coughs) excuse me, the night before his crucifixion. He brought together his closest friends around a meal, and after his resurrection, he shared breakfast on the beach with his disciples. A lot of ministry happened in very ordinary places, and as we looked at in Acts chapter 2, much of the beginnings of the early church happened around ordinary places and spaces, very, very ordinary places and spaces, and they were woven together around a common mission and a bond in our early church, and we are today as well around meeting in homes and practicing what it means to live out faith in the home as well, and what it looks like to do this around each other in our homes as well. And it went far beyond the actual temple. The church was not confined to the building. The church wasn't confined to the building. It involved relationships and meals and prayers and hospitality, and involved many more being brought around his table and into his family and into his life. Ordinary lives devoted to biblical community and hospitality were a part of the church's missionary advance. And very simply, church, when we offer ourselves this way, it can, be very, it can feel a little bit ordinary or mundane, and maybe you're like, man, I just don't have, like, the, the floors aren't mopped yet, and like, uh, I've got my kids, like, diapers and underwear, like, here and there, and like, I don't know where it is. That's in my house right now. Like, I don't know where the diapers are, and like, they're all over the floor, and the socks are here. And like, I've got one sock over here and the other one over there. And you may be thinking about that. And you may be like, I, my dishes don't match. But I'm just saying, like, this is ordinary stuff, messy stuff. But you know what? When we offer ourselves in that way, church, we really do. When we see this, we, see, we say this to our neighbors. We say this, I see you. And if I see you, then God sees you. Wherever and whatever situation we may find ourselves, God has entrusted all of us in this very unique thread of history to continue His mission of seeking and welcoming people far from Him. We continue that thread. And it can happen in the 21st century with our schedules and events and happenings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it can happen in all of this. So, to our passage. To our passage. And my pages are out of order, I think. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're out of order. Did I get all of my pages today? Oh, you didn't. Thank you. Okay, we're continuing on together. Um, back to our passage with this. Okay, Matthew, thank you. Matthew 9. Um, Jesus is in a constant battle with the Pharisees. Pharisees. Did you notice the group of people who he was in constant battle with? They were the religious law keepers of the day. They had kept the law to a T. It's the people whom Jesus is most in conflict with over the course of his ministry. I mean, he's in conflict with the Pharisees all the time, and you would think, like, these people were religious. They had the law down to a T, and yet Jesus is in constant battle with them. And you'd think, like, a religious commitment to them, like a severe commitment to these Pharisees, you would think that that, they would be all about loving people, yet they were not and they proved to be that they were more concerned about religious law-keeping than extending mercy. And Matthew was a tax collector for the Romans. Raise your hand if you like paying taxes. <laughs> Nobody, okay? In those days, Matthew was a tax collector of the Romans. I mean, he was corrupt, and he took a portion of that. He was stole. I mean, the tax collectors in those days were rich. They were despised, and they fleeced you and worked for the oppressive Romans directly. Or under the client kingdom like Herod. And yet it's Jesus who's near and calls those kinds of people to him and calls the despised people of society, the despised people of the day to himself. And it's amazing that he had all the authority in the world to call those kinds of people to himself. And the invitation that Jesus gives this man is simply just amazing given Matthew's status. I mean, you, Matthew would have been the guy in the town square. Man, everyone knew him and no one liked him. And yet Jesus invites him. You see, there is this danger. What is Jesus communicating to the religious of the day? This is a danger for us. Is if we if we have followed Christ even for a long time, communicating to the religious of the day that there's just this danger to become so prideful that we neglect to extend mercy to even guys like Matthew and girls like Matthew. I mean, people like that. I just we neglect. We can neglect to extend mercy that we have like, outgrown God's mercy. Like Sometimes we've kind of grown, and we've maybe grown up, and grown up in the faith, and it's great. Sometimes we've outgrown God's grace and mercy. Michael Green is an author, and we, we don't need, or we can't extend it to others, because maybe we've outgrown it. Michael Green is an author. He says, he charged the Pharisees with being immaculate in their pattern of sacrifices, but devoid of mercy. They despise people like Matthew, and God will not tolerate it. The divine mercy welcomes sinners like Matthew when they repent and follow Jesus, but the Pharisees choose to exclude themselves from the party. We see among the Pharisees a tendency which will appear more strongly as Jesus' ministry unfolds to judge Jesus rather than revel in His mercy that He offers other people. You see, they were so prideful about their own goodness instead of recognizing Jesus' mercy and His goodness and they couldn't tolerate the generosity of, of Jesus to the paralyzed man or to Matthew or to his other friends as well. But did you notice that those words there, those who are, think that they're healthy don't need a doctor, right? But they are the ones who aren't healthy under God's examination. They're not the ones who are not healthy. And there are lots of people who think that they are. God, would you forgive me Forgive me if I have ever neglected or have not, not been without your mercy. Would you forgive me, Lord, if I ever get to a place where I say, I don't need your mercy anymore. God, would, you, would I repent of that? I need his mercy on a daily basis. I need his mercy um, in my family. I need his mercy in my life and the decisions that I make. God, would I never outgrow your need for mercy? And might we never outgrow his need for mercy? You see, they were proud of the fact that they stood out from the crowd and they're good people. They, they were proud of that. And yet, the kingdom is for the one class society, it's for sinners. And recognizing our need for, for a Savior and recognizing that and sitting under that and knowing that we are sinful and that we are uh, sinners in need of his grace and mercy. And I wonder, this church, I just wonder when, I've, when I looked at this again, and I know I've, I've, I've read this before, but just wondered this this week. Like, I just wonder how Matthew felt about sharing a meal with Jesus. I mean, and could it be that our neighbors, even those whom we think, Matthew wanted to share a meal with Jesus, could it be that our neighbors might desire the same thing from us? I mean, what would you think? I mean, Matthew felt like this. What would it, be, what would it look like? Well, how might they feel knowing maybe that they're valued? over this. What, would, what about the neighbor? Um, we don't know. The neighbor, it could be a literal neighbor and next door or whatever, but it could be another neighbor whom you're thinking of. What, what, what do we know? Sometimes the neighbors that we're thinking of are going through maybe a serious life crisis, and what would it look like to practically care for them? What would it look like for us to extend the hospitality of God to them in practicality, in practical terms. You ever notice what is in the word hospitable too? I noticed this. Um, The word hospital. You notice that? Hospital. Jesus says it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. And there's this underlying current of the spirit of the law here that Jesus seems to be attempting for the disciples to grasp here, that all of us are just born completely sinful, separated from God, and the playing field is even when it comes to ourselves and perhaps maybe that neighbor we might be thinking of that maybe needs to come to faith. You see, at the foot of the cross, we are all at the same level playing field. And Romans 5 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's all of us who were sinful at one time. And we have the spirit of offering this to other people. And maybe perhaps you're considering all this, and maybe you're saying to yourself, man, I just, I'm, maybe you're a little bit on the quieter side. Or maybe you're thinking man i just can't cook very well or i just i don't have enough recipes to go around i just i don't know i'm kind of busy for this kind of thing you know i just would like for us to all start it even goes greater than beyond a meal but being hospitable you know it's all it goes beyond this as well but we are to remember church lest we forget how rescued we are and it's god who's redeemed us and brought us and purchased us with his blood through his son. And we carry the message of hope of Jesus to other people. We are the people whom God has chosen to advance mission in and through his spirit and lives on within us. And could it be that God desires to grow my heart, your heart, enlarge our hearts toward really, really radical love to our neighbor. And maybe we've grown a little bit cold to it, that God wants to warm us up and use us to find lost people. As Jesus says, it's because to ignore that and to ignore those who are far from God would be to, to be ignored the heart of God himself. And in Luke 19, reminds us, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to what? Save the lost. How much more ought we to be, find, to be found? Who we are found about seeking the lost. How much more ought we find people? who are lost. God, forgive us if we have neglected the lost. Forgive us if we have become frustrated. Forgive us if we have been condescending maybe of those who we'd rather not associate with. Might might God be working on us in our heart? You see, none of us are done growing spiritually, and part of this is growing spiritually in our relationships with those around us. We must grow toward the broken around us, and that's at the very heart of the mission of God and the heartbeat of God. Lord, we pray that your heart beats in ours. God, we pray that your heart beats in our heart. Beat in our church. And as we think about the early church, we think about fellowshipping, we think about breaking of bread and prayer. We see, we see this in the context of relationships, that our Christian beliefs go from theory to reality. And the concept context of relationships. You see, the practices and beliefs of what we know to be true, what do I mean by this, fall in the context of relationships. Forgiveness goes from theory. We know, we we read about forgiveness, the theory of it goes from theory to reality in the context of relationships. It goes from on the ground level in the context of forgiveness goes to that. And it's talked about in Christian circles. But when you and I stand face to face with somebody and you see them and you lock two eyes with them and you know you must forgive, it goes from theory to practice. Nothing pressures true belief and what we believe to be true about God's word than through relationships. Do I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Another one. Do I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life? What about peacemaking in severe conflict? Blessed are the peacemakers. It goes from theory to practice when we live this out relationally. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaking in how it works itself out in severe conflict. It goes from we read about it to actually living this out and uh, working this out in our relationships. You see, relationships are key. God grows us in through our relationships and even those whom we might disagree with. Proverbs 13:20 reminds us walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise become wise. Have godly relationships. With oh, godly relationships for a companion of fools suffers harm. And then in Ecclesiastes 4 we're reminded that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But if pity but pity anyone falls and has no one to help them up. God grows us in the context of relationships and praying that God would give us godly relationships as well. Now, I am not immune to know this church, that I'm not immune to know that many of our dinner tables have empty chairs, memories of loved ones who've gone on, memories of perhaps even what the family used to be like. And now there's maybe a family split, relationally split, maybe it's altered. And many of the folks who've walked into your life, have walked out of it. Maybe you've extended hospitality and have just simply gone downright hurt by it or burned by it. And maybe that's kind of caused you to kind of push from this, to kind of step a little bit back and say, you know, I don't want to get hurt again. Might I say this, that the pain sometimes, sometimes, that the pain of yesterday robs us of the joy of tomorrow. And what joys might we be missing, perhaps, if the pain of yesterday might be leaning in and kind of stopping us from the joys of tomorrow and what this might hold for us. And I know that many of you have experienced severe hurt and pain and struggle when it comes to this, or maybe there's an empty chair that brings about hurt or pain for a family member or maybe it's a lost family member or somebody that you have experienced just tremendous hurt and pain in your life i just wonder what god might be doing uh, in our lives um and what god might be doing in our heart to engage in love for neighbor uh, for the joy of tomorrow what god could do um through the joy of tomorrow and what what might happen through this so just a few practical things with this uh, message today. Just a few things. Um, avoid the little me, big them kind of thing. And this is what I mean by this. Little me, big them. Sometimes we think when when we sometimes or when we want to uh, be hospitable or have somebody over, sometimes we think I'm just a little small and they're just bigger and, you know, they're, they're just more important. I just would avoid that. Um, we're all just ordinary people and uh, sometimes it's kind of intimidating or maybe we have the intimidating factor about being hospitable to somebody but we are all able and um if we sometimes if we just avoid that um we would be i think we would be in a better off place so we would avoid that little me like they're more important or maybe they're on a we sort of think like this sometimes and so uh, might we just have this simple notion of just saying you know what god what do you want to do in and through the relationship that i have with another person and um and whatnot. I would say this also: that we should don't drift. Be proactive about it. So we and I know as I get older, church. I I know this to be true, and I know if you've got kids, and I know if you don't have kids, or maybe the kids are, or maybe you're an empty nester. It can be. You have to be proactive about finding friends, and it sometimes gets harder as it gets older, does it not? And yet we are called by God, to Christian, kind of this Christian community and what God wants for us. Um, and what what God, look at what God could do through new friends, right? Uh, through new friends and what God could do through friendships that could happen through this. So um, being proactive is important. And maybe you're waiting on the text from somebody else. You're like, man, I haven't been invited to their house for dinner? What would it look like to extend that invitation or to go out to eat or not even eat? You can do something, do something different. This doesn't relegate itself to eating. You can do this in a lot of different ways and ideas. Thirdly, I would say this. Now, we're not doing this today because we can't move the pews around and we couldn't make a circle. Uh, but we could circle them and like make it like this um, little thing. We could do that if we unscrewed all the pews and, and did that. But we will not do that Um, and I will not raise the blood pressure of the trustees. We will not move the pews. Okay, so um, so, uh, this is what I would say. Sit. What would it look like? And just in the context of community, um, church has done really well in the context of a table. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, in the context of a table, you can see each other. You can sit in a circle or sit across from somebody. That's really where you get a lot of this relational kind of I get to know about somebody and I get to know about their life and I get to know about their family. I get to know about their kids. I get to know about their dreams and hopes and I get to know about their pains and sorrows. And so this is a really good thing. Have a time, you know, with somebody where you, uh, you have been prayed for um, and sitting across from somebody, you could say, I can pray for you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful gift to give the church. So as we close today, this is what I would say again. This is what I would say to us, you know, changing the world does not begin in grandiose style. It's not a grandiose kind of uh, grand kind of thing, but it can truly change the people around us by practicing ordinary hospitality. Amen. Simple, simple. And the gospel is simple and it's normal and very ordinary. That's good news. Amen. Amen.